Well, I'm finally back. It's been a little while since I put out a fresh episode, but I got a new one here for you. Let me just start with a little uh, housekeeping. So if you're listening, no matter what you're listening on, iTunes, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, any of those any of those outlets, do me a huge favor and leave me a five-star review if you like the content. It's a huge help. helps boost the numbers, helps get it in front of more people. Much, much appreciated. Follow me on Instagram. Uh, build up them followers on Instagram at Average Joe's Beer Podcast. Facebook, you can find me Average Joe's Above Average Beer Podcast. That's an easy way to do it. Uh, all that, just uh, following on the social meds. And then um, I want to give a sh- quick shout out to my friend uh, Clint Wadsworth over at uh, at Misbehaving Meads. He allowed me to come into his space with my dear friend Josh Crane, and we brewed a mead, and it came out so incredible it, it hit the it hit the stores last week and just it's been selling like crazy right now over 100 plus check-ins on untapped it's sitting at a 4.71 there's still bottles available all over the suburbs and in the chicagoland area and probably at the tasting room at misbehaving meads in valparaiso indiana so go grab yourself a bottle of that it's got my little tiny picture by that sweet bee uh, uh for misbehaving you see my little fi- podcast face little cartoon caricature put a lot of love into that mead it's strawberry blackberry uh raspberry and vanilla beans some tahitian vanilla beans to be exact over 800 pounds of fruit just water no, or just no water no water at all in this mead so check that out it's goddamn delicious so I went to a new spot for the first time, my first time walking through the doors, and it was pretty badass. It's Ike and Oak Brewing out in, um, it's going to be out in Woodridge, so right by that Seven Bridges area. It's super cool place. The The place visually is just amazing. I sat down with owner Ed and, and their brewmaster, Nathan, just world-class awesome guys got to sit down and do an hour with them while they're setting up for their Oktoberfest, which will last for two weeks uh and then early october they've got a bottle release coming up of a barrel aged their first barrel aged stout um it looks pretty awesome uh wax dip 22 ounce uh bottles so that, that'll be a huge day for them but uh, go visit them during their two-week-long Oktoberfest. The place was decorated awesome. They got some cool food menu items for for the uh, fest season. And then um, they always have wood fire pizzas and stuff. They're pretty badass stuff over there. Uh, beer was excellent. Had to, got to taste maybe four or five of the, the beers while we were there. So go check them out. But great freaking episode love talking to these guys getting their backstory hearing about what it was like to start the place so without further ado finally uh another episode this time with ike and oak brewing out in woodridge so sitting here in uh, woodridge right woodridge illinois on my first visit to ike and oak so i'm sitting here i'm joined by would you classify yourself as owner Owner yep. Ed. Yep. And then Nathan as the brewmaster then. Hey, good morning, guys. And woo. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I'm glad to finally get out here and see the space. This area itself is beautiful. This whole kind of uh, culture they've shaped and by the Seven Bridges and in the movie theater right here. It's like a really nice, nice place to have a brewery. Was this like an initial target area for you guys when you, when you were devising this plan? Well, I live in the western suburbs, Downers Grove. I lived in Naperville for about 15 years as well. So I knew, I knew that I know the western suburbs really well. Grew up on the on the south side and lived uh, went to college in Iowa. But 
kind of knew as I started to work on this business plan a couple of years ago it was you know there's a there's a lot of great breweries out here and then there's also the 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 big national chains and there's not a lot of brew pubs local brew pubs and so I said well this might you know the western suburbs be between kind of Downers Grove and Aurora might be a good opportunity to find the right location knowing that you need a, a pretty good amount of space for for a brew pub you know especially when you're when you're considering a kitchen so it just kind of st- I kind of stumbled upon this location and it was a, it was built in 2008 and had a couple of different bar and grills over the years but uh, it fit the bill it's about 6,500 square feet I was able to purchase the building which was really important when you you factor in how much you you know how much infrastructure goes into putting in a, a brewery um, yeah, what's the, that thought process like when you're when you're debating that? Like, was it a debate, or you're like, if I'm not doing this unless I can buy the building? Well, no, it wasn't the most it wasn't the most important factor. But you know, owning the real estate and developing it into a, a brew pub just takes so much. It takes a lot of work. You basically have to either start fresh or the gut rehab process. You put a lot of money into things that you don't see: plumbing, electric gas um, restructuring like we had to spend just you know thousands and thousands of dollars of of underground plumbing and sewer and all that everything that just had to go into just putting in a bre- putting in the brewery and getting the tanks in restructuring the concrete um, and so you start to add that up when you you do that to somebody else's building um, it just becomes really really expensive yeah, I couldn't imagine. I mean, especially just looking at this space in general. I mean, it's it's really well done. You, you didn't, it doesn't look like you skimped on anything. Looks like thank you. You know, just the visual on it, the whole setup of the place, and and again, it's it's something that most stories don't include right off the bat is food, right? You know, right right away. You know, right. it's, it's a it's a whole different ball game when you add that kitchen and and uh, bring that food attraction to it. Sure. Well, when I started to think about, you know. Okay, is it going to be a brew pub? Is it going to be a tap room? Um, I took a I took a vacation out to Colorado and toured a, a, an incredible amount of breweries in Denver, Fort Collins, Boulder, and there was a the the few that stuck out in my head were the ones that that made it into like you knew you were in a brewery. You weren't in a restaurant. You knew you were in a brewery. Um, the brewing equipment was center to the operation but they also they served great food you know there there's there's plenty of great breweries around but besides some of the big the big national chains most of them don't do the brew pub very well so after that trip i was like yeah there's some really maybe there's a good opportunity in chicagoland especially outside of the city in the suburbs where you can do a really good brew pub and have it still be cool and have it and you know have it not just seem like you're in a restaurant and oh by the way there's some brewing tanks back in the back of the building and maybe you don't see them and you know what are what's that little glimpse of those stainless those stainless steel things so if you look around the the space you you pretty much have a, a great view of the brewery and the beer is center focus on on, in the whole operation so that was kind of the goal and the architect and designer you know knocked it out of the park with 
the visual aspects. I'm sure Nathan would would wish he had probably another thousand square feet. Be that was that was the next question coming to my head because I've seen it. You know, in the city and you see like corridor. If you've ever been up sure. there on the north oh, yeah. side, it's like I know that was always an issue with Roger back in the, when he was brewing for them. Uh, uh, he would always say, you know, it's like something goes wrong like these people are right here you know oh, like, yeah. you're, you're spraying you know you accidentally spray some hose valve doesn't get closed whatever it is so what's that challenge been like for you nathan yeah some more space would be nice but uh the visual aspect from the customer standpoint it's is killer. Uh, incredible <laughs> you know he i think every especially in the when we first opened um and nathan was kind of getting the getting the logistics of of brewing beer um, we de- we decided before day one that we weren't going to be open for lunch at least in the in the beginning, and so that that freed up some you know not having to open up at eleven o'clock and the and and while Nathan's brewing and you know cleaning the you know cellaring the the operation and cleaning and and all that stuff I think that probably was a good decision in hindsight of you know being able to brew good beer and focus on the brewery and not have not have guests in here at 11 o'clock in the morning for lunch seven days a week was was a good decision um you know i think nathan has adapted his schedule um and i think there's been times early on when he was like what the hell happened last night? <laughs> um, you know, when he, when he comes in on Monday morning, uh, uh, you know, his brew, like a lot of times on busy Fridays and Saturday nights, the, the brewing area becomes kind of a, a corridor for servers and server assistants, <laughs> you know, running food. And, oh, yeah. and there's been many, oppor- many times where he's like, I think somebody was, I think there was some, somebody eating in the, bre- in the brewery because there's like, you know, it's just a mess. So, mm-hmm. You know, getting past those those little hurdles um, with having the the op- the brewery right in the middle of the restaurant has uh, you know it's great, but there's been a lot of challenge. So Nathan has has adapted his schedule um, to be able to brew beer and have his kind of domain undisturbed with without bartenders and servers. Even though I know the bartenders and servers they're all craft beer enthusiasts and, and they wish they could be here while he's doing a lot of the stuff. Um, but it's, it's probably, you know, for the best of the operation and be able to have him focus on, on brewing incredible beer. I think it's, it's probably, you know, his brewing while we don't have customers in the building is, is, is probably the right decision. Yeah. We saw a lot of beer over the weekends here. So it's always interesting to see what I'm going to find when I come in here on a Monday morning. And I'm an early riser, so I uh, start early, and um, just due to the nature of the operation, I'm usually gone before the customers get here. <laughs> so, the ghost brewer. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the, the, the setup is, is really nice, and we've got some great equipment, and it's uh, helping me turn out some fantastic beer. Yeah, I mean, that just the, 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 like you said, the space in general, then adjusting your schedule and that. But like, so when you uh, when you kind of envisioned this place, Ed, and you started getting the build out and the contract, you know, they nailed it. Like, so when does Nathan enter the picture? Is he was he already your head brewer from the get? Well, or? So I, I bought the building March, middle of March, 2018. And Nathan was hired in the fall of 2018. So I had already, during, during the, the process, you know, when I, when I signed the contract on the building, I had already envisioned it going well, and I kind of took a, a little bit of a gamble 
and started with the architect back in December of 2017 when I signed the contract, the purchase agreement. So I had already had a lot of the, the, um, the initial design and all that. So once, we, once I signed the contract and started the permit process through the village, um, I kind of knew what the what the construction schedule was, and there was there was some delays. We had you know, the building only being ten years old, there was still a lot of uh, there was some construction delays that kind of dragged on a little bit. And Nathan started when was it mid October? Yeah, <clears throat> October of last year. Mid October. So, yeah, so he started October of 2018, and the goal was for him to be on on site full time. Uh, the day the tanks arrived, so I wanted him to really be because he has a, he has a lot of experience with commissioning, commissioning breweries and and you know getting them going from the beginning with his past experiences and, and job history. So I thought it was really important to have him in the building day one, and being able to help with the the layout and the expertise that he has to be able to say, let's get that tank moved over here. Let's, let's do that. And, and that was really beneficial to not only, not only the builder, but also I think to the general layout of it with, with his expertise of, of knowing that we need this space, we need this, we need that. We, you know, he was instrumental in getting all the, the CO2 set up, the glycol, you know, all that stuff that kind of the behind the scenes of what it takes to, to produce beer he was it was instrumental having him be on staff during that construction project i'm sure there was days where he was like i don't i have no idea what i'm going to do today <laughs> but uh why you am know, i here there was always i would say you know 50 times a week there was some troubleshooting that the builder came to him who's a really great builder epic mike brick from epic builders um there was probably 50 times a week where he came to nathan and was like what do you think and if he would have looked at me and said, Ed, what do you think? I would have been like, oh, shit, I have shit, no what idea. What does Nathan think? I don't so know. It was, that was really important, and I think it worked out great. And, and he has such a real strong knowledge of the brew, of the brew house okay. that it's just he hit the ground running when we opened. When we started brewing, after we got our licenses and, and we started talking about, okay, he had some recipes built, and he had a plan for, for the first run. And Nathan, what was it? I said, I think maybe we'll have 10 beers, maybe 10 of our own beers or eight to 10 and a couple of maybe some guest beers and a cider. And, and he's like, well, what do you think? He goes, what do you think about 12? And I'm like, <laughs> the balls on this guy. Yeah. So I was <laughs> like, if you think you want to, if you think you can get 12 brewed when we, you know, we were hoping for a end of January open and ended up getting pushed back a few weeks. We opened up February 7th. Not we bad. had, we Not had 12. Bad, yeah, we had 12 beers on tap, and it was that was an incredible feat. But also, it was like we opened the doors, and it was like, wow, they got their shit together. Yeah, yeah. I'd say the uh, startup process here went a lot more smooth than at the previous two breweries I was at. Started here mid October last year, and we were brewing beer beginning of December, so a month and a half kind That's of crazy. startup. Yeah. And, That's really uh, impressive. Yeah, we really got it going. Did you have a say in the, the equipment as it came in? Were you able to no, kind of shop with it? No, I had picked out the equipment okay. already. However, there were some uh, changes made, to, uh, you know, several things. Yeah. It's never yes. done. Once. So the <laughs> equipment, um, I did back in, back in the early spring of 2018, I, I started 
you know, kind of researching equipment and yeah. What was that process like? How how did you research? You just I mean, was this like web searches? Are you relying on people that you know or trust well, in I the just, industry? Yeah, I, I, there was a couple guys that helped me with it, and I just decided like I, I wanted to try to find some Midwest companies because I because I had heard from a lot of people that if you can get if you if you get a Midwest company, their service is going to be a lot better. So ABE was, has has very good reputation. Yeah. So they there was a a brewer a brewing equipment company out of Michigan that it was kind of second. Abe was really you know Abe's in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. So I then I once I figured out like those two companies, Psycho Brew from Michigan and, yes, and Psycho, Abe, I said, uh-huh. okay, let me go around and and talk to guys that have that equipment i went to low res has and has abe equipment and they were really really like kevin um, and dave yeah, yeah they were really the great Good about guys. letting me kind of tour their tour their facility and answer questions and they gave me a lot of great insight on the on abe as a as a customer from a customer standpoint customer service standpoint so i had to knowing that like so when i decided abe was the right company i actually drove to lincoln toured the facility really great family family run organization felt really good about the decision so started putting the plans in and it was they said it was going to be between 16 and 18 weeks to get the equipment okay so when i once i once i closed on the building that was the next thing i did like literally two days later i I signed the purchase agreement for the equipment and gave a deposit so because i knew working forward 18 weeks and maybe there's a few week delay that was 20 weeks you start to look you start to plan forward and I was like oh shit I better get that taken care of quickly so Nathan probably you know in hindsight having the brewer be able to design his system exactly the way he wants would have been the best choice but I didn't even start interviewing brewers (laughs) until you know until August so you have to, you, you know, a lot of a lot of brew pubs and a lot of breweries are brewer owned, so they have the yeah. ability to design their own. Where I'm not a brewer, and you know, so you know, in hindsight, it would have been great having Nathan say, "Okay, I want, I want this piece of equipment. I want, you know, this ten barrel or seven barrel or twelve barrel, whatever type of system. And these are the fermenters I want, and these are the bright tanks and everything mm-hmm. else." But once he was on, once he was on board in October he really was able to help kind of mold the, the brew house the way he wanted. Yeah, we've got a 10-barrel brew house with uh, three 10-barrel fermenters and three 20-barrel fermenters. Okay. We've also got eight 10-barrel serving tanks, and we've got some uh, kegs on tap and a walk-in cooler. So kind of uh, getting the beer from the fermenters to keep those eight serving tanks full and making sure there's enough kegs that have four more beers on taps can be a challenge at times. So, um, yeah, so with those 310s and 320 sized fermenters, uh, we could, you know, maybe use one or two less of the 20 barrel fermenters, but I'm putting them to, to good use. But uh, this system isn't exactly how I would have uh, put the layout, but it's still, you know, but it's working. It's working. <laughs> yeah, no, the equipment looks great. So kind of walk, walk us through like the, the hot side or, you know, of it for the on the system side. Uh, so w- is it something that you've been used to? Is it something that you had to learn a little bit? Was it a uh, curve on it or? Yeah, the system is uh, very easy to use. It's different than uh, the the most recent system I used. Uh, Let me give a little bit of background about myself. 
started out as a home brewer back in, uh, I think my wife gave me a home brewing kit for Christmas in 2010. And at the time I was working in an office cubicle doing accounting work and uh, just really liked home brewing beer a lot more than uh, the passion I had for the accounting work in my yeah. office cubicle. And uh, brewed 30 to 40 batches of homebrew in no time and was growing six varieties of hops in my backyard and uh, thought, hey, maybe I should try to find it a brewery. And, and back then there was only probably a, a dozen uh, breweries in the Chicago area yeah. and now there's obviously way, way more, but uh, wasn't really having any success trying to land a job at any of the breweries. And um, went out to a wedding in uh, Newport Beach, Oregon for one of my wife's friends and was talking to some of the brewers at Rogue out there. And they're like, you know, you're, you're probably going to have to volunteer at a brewery instead of expecting just yeah. to be able to, uh, you know, land a job. So um, I did uh, then change the wording on my uh, cover letter to I'll volunteer at your brewery. And uh, fortunately, two brothers out in Warrenville offered me a job as a packaging assistant. So that was my first brewing job back in around 2010, 2011. Was there for two years. What were you uh, doing? What did you kind of start out doing? Like, like yeah, literally so like I, canning runs and stuff. Yeah, and started out, like started out on the on the bottling line, okay. and then uh, then got moved to running our uh, keg machine, which uh, which would fill about uh, sixty kegs an hour, and Jesus. then was doing more uh, cellaring stuff and uh, operating the centrifuge. And after being there for about two years, I got hired by Lagunitas as uh, we were opening up the Chicago brewery. Oh, the Pilsen brewery, really? So what's that? Twenty. 12, 13, 14, like that. Yeah, it's, yeah, say around 2013, uh, 14. Okay. Yep. And for my first uh, three weeks on the job there, they sent me and five other guys out to the headquarters in Petaluma, California to uh, see how the operation was run out there and bring that knowledge back to get things up and running in Chicago. And it was six months of pre production work there before we brewed our first batch. Wow. And um, so it was ordering things, you know, laying things out, cleaning, painting. But um, th there's some great uh, camaraderie that was formed, and we did a lot of team building exercises, stuff like that. A lot of dogs. A lot of dogs over there. And, and well, uh, yeah, out in California us. for sure, but, uh, yeah, n not allowed in the, the Chicago brewery. So I was at Lagunitas for two years, and then I got uh, – an offer to be the brewmaster at Baderbrow on the south side as uh, Baderbrow was being relaunched. Uh, was there for two years. Um, so I, I was actually at Baderbrow for another six months of pre-production work before we started brewing there. And uh, Baderbrow unfortunately went out of business. And, Pretty uh, recently it, too, right? Here I am at Ike yeah. uh, Oak. Yeah, so, so that was an issue of um, at Baderbrow the owner just bit off more than he could chew. Um, it was uh, in about a 25,000 square foot building when we only needed you know, a fraction of that size, so the overhead was too high. And there's now a new brewery going into uh, that space. Is that Moody? Is Moody Yeah, Moody Tongue is in there now. Yeah. They, they may be uh, open now, I'm not sure. Yeah. I think, yeah. That's interesting. So that's, uh, that's uh, you know, you, you 
Baderbrow, Lagunitas, two brothers. It's like, and then now this independent, you know, relatively small compared to what you're talking about. And the system and the, and the tanks and stuff you were working with there have to be completely different. I mean, not completely, but but size-wise, it's, yeah, it's so tremendously to different. To put things into perspective, I'd brew as much beer in one day at Lagunitas as I would here in a year. Mm-hmm. So we had uh, 750 barrel fermenters at Lagunitas and about 80 of them. And we've got uh, 10 and 20 barrel fermenters here. A little more control here of uh, what's coming out of those tanks and going yeah, into Yeah, but them, so what I really love about uh, working here is the flexibility and creativity that I have. So we're, we're selling a lot of beer, and uh, with the relatively small batch sizes, I'm able to really t- turn over a lot of different uh, varieties and do some creative stuff. We've launched, uh, I think, just over 40 beers now, and we've been open uh, seven months. It's got to be something you guys are proud of early on here. I mean, seven months, it's an infant right now. I mean, it's sure. just, it's a baby. It's, you know, I've heard great things about the food. I've heard great things about the beer, the atmosphere, obviously, the, the visual on it. You guys are planning for a big, big thing today right now, as soon as we're done with this, considering we started at 9 a.m. this morning. So just for people listening. And we've got some uh, little taster glasses of our Oktoberfest. I already Martin drank your Oktoberfest. Oktoberfest beer in front of us. <laughs> I loved it. That's awesome, man. I'm not. I've never been like a huge, you know, seasonal beer guy like that, like the pumpkins and all that. But but the Marzen for some reason is good for me. I like the Marzens. Yeah, our Oktoberfest starts today. It goes for uh, just over two weeks. So hope to see a lot of our uh, fans and customers out here over the next two weeks. So is today like launch day. This is the start of t- two weeks of epicness. Yeah, it was. We're we're following the tr- you know with our with our facility. It lends itself to, you know, because it is a big, wide-open rectangle, um, it has the feel of kind of that German beer hall, um, Americanized German beer hall. So we decided instead of just having a, an Oktoberfest weekend or an Oktoberfest day, we decided we're going to celebrate Oktoberfest as the traditional Oktoberfest season, you know, like they do in Munich and some of the other uh, great German Oktoberfest celebrations. So it's going to run from September 21st through October 6th, where we have we have basically four great German beers, two two that we just tapped yesterday, an Oktoberfest Marzen and a and a Doppelbach, and then we also have a Vienna Lager and a Kolsch. So we have four really great beers. Nathan's uh you know with with his Baderbrau experience is able to brew some really some really great German style beers. So we decided to put together some a couple of uh, German food items, some specials, and those will run for the next two and a half weeks till October 6th. So we're gonna celebrate it their traditional German style with you know, a real Oktoberfest and not just have it be a one day celebration. We've, we've got some commemorative half liter mugs with, our, with a, a cool little logo with, with Ike the Bears uh, wearing a, a, a German hat and you know, just kind of a, it's gonna be a really great couple of weeks to showcase not only our German beers, but you know, everything else that goes along with Ike and Oak. So uh, now, you know, when you you said you said all that great stuff, and then all I heard was Ike the Bear, and <laughs> that makes that leads me to want to ask, you know, obviously why Ike Ike and Oak. So, the original the original uh, plan was to open up a just a little a little craft beer um, gastro pub, and after that trip I talked about earlier out to Colorado, and I, I kind of 
you know, re reworked the business plan and, and said, God, I really like, I, I love craft beer, been a big fan of craft beer for many years. And I said, ah, maybe a brewery would be a great idea. So after that trip, it kind of solidified the plan and started thinking about names. And there's an old, there's a, I have five kids from 21 down to nine. And there's an old family story that our kids tell from 20 years ago with my younger son. And it was our, our first camping, first camping experience. I, I'm a big outdoorsman. And we were camping out in, out in the Rockies and a bear came into our campground. My wife is a city person and, and I'm not a, an experienced Rocky Mountain camper. And Ike the bear kind of came into the campground, did some damage to our campsite. And we found out later from a park ranger that, oh yeah, that, that's Ike the bear that- <laughs> So uh, they already had him named. That's Ike the bear that has, uh, that, that terrorizes the campground. So that story is kind of turned into a funny family story over the last 20 years where it's turned into, you know, almost like playing telephone with a, with a group of kids where it turned out from a, just a real simple little crazy experience into, oh, he, he, he ate, he ate dad's Cheetos and, yeah. and drank his beer <laughs> and, you know, tore apart the tent. Well, that doll, that, that's all kind of a fun a part fabricated. of the story. Yeah. A little <laughs> fabrication and exaggeration, but so as we started talking about names and, you know, the family, the kids were a big part of, of it. It just was like, you know, we started just brainstorming ideas. And that was one of the names that, uh, that kind of got put together from that old family story. So, so and I it, got, and it I works. Ike. What's the Oak? The Oak is, uh, you know, just kind of part of the, part of that story where it was in an Oak Grove and, you know, when, when I decided on Woodridge, Woodridge kind of fit and it was, you know, it, it's a, really great community um you know it's a got great park districts seven bridges the seven bridges area so it's just kind of like yeah, that name really that really that name fits not only woodridge but it could work in a lot of different locations as well so and it and then the 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 person i hired um her name is brenda from wink design she put that story together and kind of came up with the branding and the logo and you know, created a storyboard that then all the different logos and branding just kind of like really, really worked. And it was, it's catching and, and simple and playful. And it just kind of turned into a, a really uh, big part of you know, the, the story of Ike the Bear. And, and obviously it's the main part of our logo. So, mm-hmm. okay. We're drinking another beer here now. It's called Greenhorn. It's a just key about lime to ask pie. you about Goza. this. So it's got some uh, lactose in it, along with some lime juice and vanilla with a hint of graham cracker. It's got some great, great flavors on this. I was really kind of, almost looked like a white IPA or something when I, uh, when yeah, I, looked I saw at your it face be- before like, you, uh, or right after you drank it, you didn't know what it was, so I wanted to fill you guys in. So that's a little secret. I love that style. I love I love how people are dicking around now with all the vanilla and lactose and, and playing with these gozas and Berliners and that. Um, I like traditional beers just fine, but I love I love that people are just throwing caution to the wind now with the, with the different trends that are hot right now. Sure. So that so Greenhorn is um, Nathan brew a small batch of it right when we opened, and it wasn't, you know, I think you know I I consider. I consider the western suburbs kind of new craft beer drinkers and everybody didn't they first of all they couldn't figure out how to pronounce goes goza goze and yeah. 
So they didn't know what it was. And we, we encourage, we encourage sampling. We encourage people ordering flights and that first batch back in February, people were like, wow, that's really interesting beer, but I don't like sours. Well, as they started to drink it, they were like, yeah, it's really flavorful and, and bold. And, and then we ran out of it for a, a small batch and it wasn't even in the top half of, of popularity of when we first opened, but that kind of the minority of the drinkers that enjoyed it were very vocal. And they, mm-hmm. every time they came in, there was a few people a weekend were like, when are you bringing back Greenhorn? So we started to hear that. And so Nathan and I, as we kind of planned forward a little bit with the brewing schedule, he brought it up. I think he was like, what do you think? Should I brew Greenhorn again, kind of to hit the summer? And I'm like, it wasn't a great seller. We can go in and look at product mix and see, you know, the popularity of the bears and kind of see what what's the trend is. But the guests really, you know, some of our regulars really loved it. So we brought it back and have you brewed a couple, you've brewed maybe one or two more batches of it based on that popularity. It's pretty damn good. Yeah, it's almost a cult favorite around here. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. I would keep making that. What, what's that clock in at? Like threes, low fours? Or yeah, low fours. Low fours. Yeah, it's a really beautifully done beer. So now, that kind of took. Now, if you made it like a like a slimy lime green color, people would buy it even more. They'd be like, look at that. <laughs> that I, want some, I want that ecto green one. cooler oh, color. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so that kind of. Uh, so after that beer and we kind of heard, heard the guests talking about the, you know, the sours and the younger, the younger beer drinkers really love the sours. Then yes. that, that kind of added, and then Nathan said, well, what do you think? Should we do another? And then I think the next one was a Berliner Weiss, and that became a really popular beer in the spring. So we've just now we've kind of decided as we, as we build the tap list, we'll always have some kind of a sour on the tap list just because it's, you know, the, the, our, one of our, it's kind of turned into one of our kind of s- signature styles that, that people really expect some kind of a cool, funky st- funky sour so being the, being this close uh to the people like i know you mentioned that a lot of times when the customers get here you're gone by then but i mean are, are you kind of watching are you using the tasting room as kind of a, a you know like a feedback a sounding board for see like what what's working for for you guys you know oh yeah absolutely versus like what yeah. you'd brew and like you know, yeah i'll look like, at untapped for feedback on there mm-hmm. and beer rankings and uh, yeah talk to the, the managers here and get uh end of day summer reports to to see what's selling and look at our product mix see what's selling i mean when you when you were kind of first so what, what was your first like brew job like when you were actually the guy brewing the beer you know was that yeah so that was at lagunitas that was lagunitas okay but at lagunitas aren't you you're brewing with what they're telling you know it's like we gotta make an ipa we gotta make you know yeah the, so the, yeah that's the thing know? so all the creativity at lagunitas happens out in california mm-hmm. so even though there's a 225 square thousand square foot warehouse in chicago we're making a ton of beer all the uh creativity decisions are made out in california so you're not going to have a whole lot of creativity there you're not making key lime gozes you're not gonna you i'm thinking we got a new england style ipa in front of us right here so i mean you're probably right. not doing that stuff right so, so but then at uh bader brow uh, as the brewmaster there so the, the owner was a former head brewer he had a bunch of recipes so um i'd say about two-thirds of the beer that i brewed there were his recipes that I kind of uh, honed into the system, and then the other third were ones that I had uh, put together. Okay. But but here it's uh, 
yeah, they're they're all my recipes that put together. So, what's your personal thoughts on 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 these styles, like on gozas and New England style IPAs, pastry stouts, like the things that are super hot right now with everyone? Yeah, I I, I want to uh, you know make beers that that people uh, like to drink and uh, that that people are asking for. Um, yes, yeah, so I want to really change up the the product mix and uh, brew some creative stuff. And what about you? Now, Ed, you said that you've always been a craft beer enthusiast. Like, what kind of stuff got you in, into the world? Uh, and then now, how has your palate changed over the years? And what do you think about, like, the different, the new stuff, the kind of newer stuff that he's brewing? Sure. Well, I'm, I'm more of a traditional um, German lager fan. Um, and my favorite beer that we have on tap is one of our signature beers called Lumpy's Lager. It's a Vienna lager. Great beer. Um, it's... it's it's got great malt flavor, um, not a lot of hops. I've never been a big hop head. Um, the big IPA trend from a while back was definitely not my style. I'm more of a, you know, traditional German, some English, you know, English ales, um, Irish stouts, um, that type of beer. So when Nathan said, do you have any, you, you, are you a fan of the New England style or the milkshake style IPAs? I'm like, eh. I'm not, but but I know they're trendy, so let's brew them. And and he kind of, you know, when we started to put more of those on on our tap list, it kind of opened my eyes to the flavors, and they don't have to be big hop bombs, and they can have tons of flavor, tons of creativity, and be really good, easy-drinking beers. And so that's one of the ones that that has kind of turned my palate a little bit is – is Nathan's New England style IPAs? I think we've brewed six or eight of them. Nathan, would you say? Yeah, it's been a bunch. I mean, a what bunch. Do we have, of, what do we have right now? What's this one? Yes, yeah, so this one is called Mount K2. It's a New England style IPA that does have some lactose and it's got some guava puree in it as okay. well. I thought I was catching some fruit, but I wasn't sure. I don't want to assume. Uh, that's a that's always an interesting conversation too with brewers and in, in, in that uh, the use of like lactose and things can be like not controversial, but some people don't want to use it. Some people think it's a, something you shouldn't use. Then I know a lot of guys use maltodextrin in this style now too. You know, so the idea that was to, to bump up the body and the mouthfeel without adding the, the the extra sugars or yeah. So what about you? What's, what's your take on it? I mean, when you're doing a uh, New England style, are you trying to use malto or anything to, to enhance that body and the mouthfeel that everybody's Yeah, I, I haven't for? used uh, maltodextrin, but I will use lactose. A little lactose and a little extra sweetness. Yeah, one of the uh, interesting things about uh, here at Icon Oak is, uh, you know, not, not only do we sell a lot of beer, but a lot of food, too. And uh, our two best-selling beers are our, uh, Gold Hill Kolsch and the Hopper Dropper IPA. So, Wanda, when I put together the, the product lineup, I want to make sure we've got some, you know, standard beers that non-beer drinkers have heard of, the style at least, uh, and mix those in with some more creative things. Mm-hmm. So what's the hopper dropper? Is that like a West Coast type or a little more piney or straightforward Yeah, it's a, a West Coast IPA. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'll use some uh, Citra, Mosaic, and Amarillo on there. Okay. See, every time I think West Coast, I think Centennial, Cascade, you know, the, the, the old sea hops that, that used to be in vogue, man. But, no, it's, it's cool to marry, like, that style, make it clear, make it clean, but also use some of these sexier hops now that are almost, like, when you guys started this, how the hell do you get started on the buying product side when you're looking for grains and for t- hops and, like, 
Is it an easy process? It seems like it's difficult to kind of get those things set up, whether you're doing contract or spot buying. Yeah, so I'll use uh, Brewer Supply Group and Country okay. Mall Group, and I'd use both of those suppliers at Baderbrow and then at Lagunitas also. Um, one of the things we're not doing here is doing any hop contracts. Uh, kind of learned on that from Baderbrow. We were uh, over-contracted on uh, hops by, man, close to $80,000. And uh, so what I found is you can find pretty much any hop you want on the spot market. You might have to pay more for it, but that uh, for the amount of volume we're doing here, it's better just to pay up for the hop you need than to be overcontracted on something that you're not going to use. Yeah, you mean like the citra hop, as far as I've been told from some guys, is like 30 bucks, you know, a, a pound if you're doing if you're doing spot buying and stuff. Yeah, it's and crazy. Contract maybe 14, 15 bucks a pound or something. But again, like you said, you end up over having to overbuy or something right yeah you're over contracted and then you've got to pay storage fees yeah. or and pay to take delivery sell it of off it. to other yeah, breweries sell it <laughs> off you got to have storage space for it at your own facility and uh -huh. so yeah that's the one thing we don't have a lot of is brewery storage space that uh. we have you know pretty much none <laughs> um, we have a small little area in the back where we've got some cans and we've got some crawlers and growlers and then Nathan's just gotten creative with kind of in the brew house with with some storage areas, some shelves and stuff like that. But we don't have we're not we don't have the capabilities of of storing a bunch of grain and and being able to, uh, you know, plan out six months in advance with with our grain usage. So it's allowed, you know, I think I think Nathan is is has he has it locked down pretty well like okay here's my brewing schedule i've got to get this amount of grain i've got to get this amount of hops and 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 being a, being nimble has i think afforded us to be able to change on the fly or redo a recipe on the fly with without having a ton of product and inventory sitting on the shelves you know just wasting money so inventory control because of our limited amount of storage space is actually pretty effective so yeah, so you are you constantly just getting deliveries then? You're just always just receiving. No, grain so so I'll order grain um, about every two weeks, and I'll order for uh, three or four brews at a time. Okay. How long did it take you to dial in like your brew schedule? I mean, were you, was that uh, was that something that you just kind of learned, or were you able to kind of get that set up right away early and just kind of get into your a routine? Yeah, that hasn't been too tough to to get down. Um, well, so what's interesting about my schedule is, um, yeah, so I start super early, but uh, one of what's the things... What's super I, early? All right, so the, the early, earliest I've got here is about 1.30 a.m. Oh, Jesus Christ. That's <laughs> well, not so, early, that's so, late. So with our uh, serving tanks, we want to try to always keep them full during business hours. So, but uh, I've got to empty those tanks out to refill them. So after I empty them, I've got to clean them and then uh, get new beers transferred into them. And I'll often do uh, two transfers from the fermenters into the serving tanks in a day. So those are long days. Usually on Mondays, it'll be you know a 13-hour day or so to make sure that the beer is ready to be served before a 5 o'clock p.m. opening. Wow. Um, but um, So my wife is a Chicago firefighter who works 24-hour shifts, and we've got two young kids too. So it's a little bit of a challenge just to you know, keep oh, yeah. things scheduled to, to make sure I've got... Uh, daycare coverage you know when my wife's working 24 hours that day but uh yeah i'll i'll brew uh between one and two times a week and i'll usually do uh one or two transfers over to the serving tanks per week 
and I'll uh, fill some 16-ounce cans once, maybe you know, one or two weeks. So. Yeah, I walked. I walked in, looked over, and saw a cooler with some cans in it. What's going on over there? Yeah, you guys uh, got cans just in just in the tap room then. Yeah, we've got five varieties of uh, sixteen ounce four pack cans for sale. Are you doing single seamer like one can at a time? Yeah, canning? you can take a look down there at the end of the uh, rail here. We've got our uh, crawler seamer, which I convert over to uh, a sixteen to ounce seam, can. sixteen ounce can. So, so it takes me about between uh, 30 and 45 minutes to change from one size to the other and then after I'm done canning I'll change it back to the other <laughs> size so how how many can like how many what's a run of case uh, yeah so I did know, a bigger, I did a big run yesterday I was here for about uh, 10 hours I filled probably just over 316 ounce cans good lord and um, I was having somebody help me at first but I'm able just to knock it out by myself now uh-huh okay yeah, that's that's crazy. I mean, you know, that's a that's a thing you don't usually see early on unless you go get a mobile canner or something to come in and do a a big run. And those require you know a lot of space and a lot of trust. Yeah, I don't know if if we could fit a mobile canner no, in here. Probably not. But no, it was cool. It's cool that you have available. You know, the with cr- you know crawlers are one thing; those are nice too. But to be able to reach in the cooler and grab a four pack on the way out, it's got to be cool for your customers, right? Yeah, I've just got to make sure that I always have that machine. I change back to the thirty-two ounce. Otherwise, you get in uh, trouble. Size. Exactly. But the bar <laughs> staff hates you when you do that. <laughs> the uh, we we started out with you know we sell crawlers and growlers and and right away when we first opened, I purchased a. A, a glass door refrigerator for the front and we, we we started doing a little bit of canning and and as we've evolved over the last you know quickly over the last seven months we've we've kind of started to figure out like what are what are some of our more popular some of our signature beers so had a had a few local artists design some cool labels and you know went through that process and you know and then we've you know with the labels so they, it's it's a it's a pretty labor-intensive little little operation once or twice a you know you know two to three times a month but it's great to be able to see customers take those you know grab a couple of four packs to go of the beers that they just had in the in you know sitting at the bar or at a at a table and you know it, it kind of you know eventually the evolution of the business is you know to be able to do bigger runs and you know, maybe down the road, there, those those cans will be sitting on a shelf in a in a re, in a store or something like that down the road. So starting to learn that canning process, and you know, I'm sure we all wish we could have a little a little mini canning system in in the brew house somewhere. Um, and you know, eventually maybe that's the way to go as as the brand builds and those signature beers start to build. Um, you know, maybe there's a way we fit a, a little mini canning system instead of Nathan <laughs> filling them up individually right from the tap and seaming them individually. But you guys been putting anything out into the market, any uh, kegs or anything in local bars, anything outside of this place? Nope, we're just strictly uh, just strictly a brew pub. Okay. How do you I mean? I know that it doesn't affect you guys at this point, but maybe going forward it will. Like, how did you guys feel about watching the laws passing? I know some breweries got some things that they wanted, but also it felt like some of most of them were a little unhappy with the thought of like other people filling growlers of their beer, sure. crawlers and that going to go in, in anywhere from bottle shops to gas stations to grocery stores or whoever the hell feels like doing it. I mean, do yeah. you guys have views or concerns about that? Or um, Nathan and I talked about it a little bit and. 
you know, not not being in that space, that business space was, you know, you know, it, it doesn't affect us. But I think the biggest takeaway from that from that conversation we had was as a brewer, if I had if I was relying on on a grocery store or a bottle shop or something like that to fill growlers and crawlers of my product, it would scare me to death. Because of that, because of the, you know, the, the, there's, you know, we, we spend a lot of time training our bartenders to be able to fill growlers and make sure that the, that the vessel is clean and sanitized and, and filling crawlers. We, we spend time teaching the bartenders how to use that machine and not that they're, but it's all right in our building. And I think Mm -hmm. that's probably the biggest, the, the biggest, uh, fear of, of breweries right now is they're going to put their their great beer that spent a lot of time and passion making and all of a sudden they're going to let some you know an inexperienced bartender or an inexperienced grocery store worker put their product in a in a vessel that's not up to your standards and now that market that beer that product goes the goes out into the to the consumer very very inferior and nathan was you know he he'll, he can talk about it in a second, but he was like, you know that that's a that's troublesome misrepresentation of your beer. I mean, in the end, I mean that's what that's what I feel like it is. It's a misrepresentation. I mean, I've seen people buy cans off grocery store shelves that are too old, you know, and then they drink it and then they think that brewery's no good. You know, I don't need to buy their products anymore. It's like, well, no, somebody didn't rotate the stock or that kind of thing. Yeah, working here at a brew pub is a completely different animal than the production breweries I worked at previously. There's just so much more control we have over how our product is being served instead of, you know, you work at a different brewery and you package the beer and it might uh, sit in your warehouse for a few months and then it sits at the distributor for a few months and then it sits on uh, somebody's store shelf for a few months, right? So beer might not be drank for a year and a half after you package it, but but here our our beer is... (laughs) being served right in front of our before our eyes or uh, it's going in a, a growler or a crawler that uh, we, we hope is not being uh, sitting around somebody's uh, refrigerator for too long yeah no no doubt about that do you guys do you guys have any oh shit moments since you've been open like so, like just oh shit like stuff where you got to think on your feet or you um i would say the the oh shit moment for me was was the, we, we did a couple of uh, friends and family, you know, pre-opening parties and they went great. And, the, and the, you know, the feedback from those people and members of the community and was, was great. Everything we loved about it. But the oh shit moment for me as, as the owner was we opened up on a Friday at 5 o'clock and, and I cracked open the door and there was a couple of people sitting out, kind of standing out, waiting for the door to open. And you look around and everybody's ready. The uniforms are clean and pressed and the beer's ready and cold and the kitchen's ready. We had, you know, incredible amount of staff and, you know, everybody, we felt everybody was trained. But just kind of once you open the door, like, are they going to show up? <laughs> and, you know, you spend a lot of time and money and, and just an incredible amount of uh, preparation for it but that oh shit moment of will they really come eat drink our beer and eat our pizza and that was like probably one of the craziest crazy emotional roller coasters that first friday that i've ever had as a you know as a as a business owner and a you know a a business person 
But yeah, it was exciting. It was exciting, but really nerve wracking for me. What about you, Nathan? You had anything here that you're like, oh shit? Nothing too big, actually. The the, the biggest one happened uh, just a couple of days ago for uh, our Oktoberfest fall beer releases. Uh, I just didn't get the clarity I was looking for out of our uh, Martin beer and out of the Doppelbach. And um, so I had the, the beers in our serving tanks on Wednesday, but I, I, we, we couldn't serve them until Thursday just for a, a quality issue with the clarity. I let this, the beer sit for another night before we served them. And because uh, we want to make sure that our menus are accurate, that we're not showing stuff on the menus that we don't have a rod of stock of, right? So I try to always make sure we've got uh, 12 beers on tap. And we only had uh, 10 beers that we could serve on Wednesday. So that, that, that was the... How dare you? Yeah. <laughs> well, that was one of the... You know, I, you know, Nathan is obviously a very skilled, experienced brewer, and I'm, I'm not a brewer. So that was really one of the... When, when we first started... You know, working together when we were when we were getting the final construction done, that was basically the one thing I asked him. I said, "I never want to see an empty cup sitting on the top of one of the tap handles." And I said, it, "It, I just that's like one of, that's my pet peeve really of being a beer a beer drinker for 30 years and going into a into a bar or restaurant and you look at the menu and they're like, "Oh, can I get one of those?" No, we're out of it. Shit. So that was really one of the things I, I just asked Nathan. I said, just let's make sure. And so that out of, you know, in seven months and over 40 beers, and it wasn't from lack of planning. It was literally his quality control said, Ed, I don't want to serve this beer for 24 more hours. So, and that was, you know, and it was the right decision because 24 hours later, it was an incredible beer. The both of them were incredible. We've had, you know, we've had it on tap now for a, a, a day and a half and, and they've been great reception. They're really high quality beers, but that was Nathan's decision that said, Hey, these aren't ready. So, and it was the right decision. So it was, you know, that's, that's an important quality control that he has his experience to be able to tell me, Hey, these beers aren't ready to go or this one, maybe we can, and there's been plenty of times where he's decided, Hey, we can move that beer up a couple of days or a week. What do you think? Should we put it on tap to kind of balance the tap list? So, his experiences have, have have definitely helped that part of the business. Got anything new and exciting brewing right now or, or on the schedule to brew? Yeah, we're doing a pumpkin beer. Oh, it's you called son of a uh, bitch. Skellington's Gourd, like uh, Jack the Pumpkin King, Jack uh-huh. Skellington. Uh, I just brewed that uh, on Thursday. And um, in addition to that, we've got a barrel-aged beer release coming up on October 11th. A barrel-aged beer release. Yeah, so we used what? some uh, bourbon barrels from Whiskey Acres out in DeKalb. Okay. And I put a double stout in there, and it was uh, aged for about nine months. And it's uh, right at uh, 8% ABV and filled all the bottles of that on uh, last Friday. There's... 360 bottles we've got of that. Oh, it's wow. going to be on tap on that uh, October 11th release. And eight percent well. sounds sounds low for a, for a barrel aged beer. You know, we get used to seeing those 14, 12. You know, big big boys. Yeah, us being a, a brew pub where our beer goes along with f- food. I'm not trying to uh, make super high ABV beers. Um, so I'm, I'm 
taking it up a couple notches gradually instead of making some, you know, 11%, 12% beers right away. It's pretty cool, though. I mean, your first wax-topped Oak, you know, branded barrel-aged beer. That's got to be, like, a moment, right? Yeah, it's very exciting. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was a... Uh we, we Nathan brewed the the uh, class five double double stout, and we had that on tap when we opened, and it was flavored with a little mint and a little chocolate. That's Great cool. beer. It was a really good drinking. It wasn't overly it w- it wasn't over the top and and he said, "What do you think about putting some of this in in bourbon barrels?" And we're like, "Ah, that's a great idea." He goes, "I'm I'm not super experienced with with barrel aging." Um, but it might be a good beer to start out. It's not going to be off the charts with uh, with ABV, and it's going to be a real. It, even when it ages, it'll still be a really drinkable beer and approachable. And I said, "Yeah, great, let's do it." So, so he's been kind of monitoring the the, the process, and um, we're super excited about it. it. Turned out really good. It's got nice big bold bourbon flavor. They were some really wet barrels that we got from Whiskey Acre. Those are, those are the good um, ones. So it, it just, the, the barrel, the, whisk, the bourbon stands out and just the quality of the stout stands out. And it's a really, it'll be great on tap and it'll be really good in, in the bottle as well. So we're super excited about October 11th is going to be a, a really cool day for us. Hopefully, um, hopefully we, we sell, we sell them all. Oh yeah. You know, people will be out. It's barrel aged and very limited too, man. That's that's always a good a good thing too. If you have a, a limited run of something, and then the uh, next beer I'm going to put in some uh, bourbon barrels will be a uh, Russian Imperial style. It'll clock in right around 11. percent There it is. Now, so what uh, what type of barrels did you use uh, size wise? They were full size, like uh, 55, whatever. They're uh, 25 gallon so barrels. Smaller ones. Yeah, a little less surface we, we area. We might move up to the 53 gallon barrels. I would imagine this out. imparted the bourbon pretty well then. Yeah, wet, more smaller surface barrels, area. Yeah, like that. It's probably, yeah. Now, I wonder, is that body on it? What's the body like on, on that beer? Yeah, uh, I say it's it, medium to high so, body. Okay. So it's it probably did. It let, let some of that bourbon attach to it real nice. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. What was the what's the last beer that we had here in the... In the so this oh, is like yeah, that's I thought it was uh, I thought I was drinking a cream soda or something. <laughs> it's our 12-pointer white stout which has got some vanilla and some uh, cocoa powder in there. Actually, my brother works at Blommer Chocolates in Chicago, and so I, I get the uh, chocolate from him. That's really cool. I mean, it's really good beer. That's a white stout? Is white like stout, a, yeah. It'd be like a, what, like 6 7%er type thing? Or yeah, exactly, okay. yep. That's beautiful. It's, I mean, it's, it's really unique. You don't see that. You don't yeah, see so that it's color. on the nitro pour here. Oh, is so it? nice okay. and smooth. Super creamy, yeah. I, was, I thought I had like a cream ale. Like not, not a cream ale, but like a... Like a cream soda almost flavor to it that vanilla and that creaminess to it yeah we're always keeping a white style on our nitro tab here it's pretty cool i like it that's a really nice little curveball to be thrown at the end there yeah we've <laughs> brewed and we've had uh this is we've had four uh white stouts on on the tap list since we opened and it's it's one of those beers where people are like oh, i don't really know they're they're not super popular and so we right. again our our we train the bartenders to offer samples and give them a little taste of it. And everybody has been blown away with the different varieties that we've had with the white stout and, and having it on nitro, it adds a lot of creaminess and, and really good mouthfeel to it. I think our, our first one had a little bit of, little bit of espresso in it. And then we had one with, with a little cinnamon that tasted kind of like Mexican chocolate. It was really smooth and creamy. 
Um, and then the, the one that you did, we just sampled was 12 pointer and that was just the basic chocolate and vanilla. And then we also have had, bre- we've brewed one with a little bit of coconut. Mm, and so like that, that tastes like when I've tasted it, I was like, Whoa, that's really cool. It tastes like something that I've, that I'm familiar with. And I, I had another taste of it. I'm like, it tastes like a mounds candy bar. <laughs> so that's where we kind of derived the name from is it's called effigy mounds. <laughs> and uh, it, it really, truly does taste like a Mounds candy bar. Can you uh, break down, down the white stout? It's, one, it's funny, the popularity thing. It's like black IPAs and white stouts. Yeah, it's a, it's a funny <laughs> question because it's a style. It's not really a style, right? So, But it's a uh, pale-colored beer that's got uh, roasty flavors that you would find in a stout. And uh, t- to make it creamy, we've got the nitro pour. There's some uh, lactose, and I've got the vanilla and coconut or uh, chocolate here in this one, but the coconut. It's a confusing the style for so many, like illuminated stunum, and you see like in bottles that you can get at the store. I've, like the, I think Pipeworks did like the white Russian one uh, with the dude on it from uh, Big Lebowski. It's just a, it's a unique style that you don't you just don't see it out there too often. But you guys seem like you you, you like it, and it seems like a, something that's working for you guys. For sure. I like it. Now, I know you guys got a bunch of stuff to do. Is there anything you'd like to leave uh, leave listeners with about Ike and Oak? Uh, I mean, I know, like we talked about, two weeks. I mean, I'll, I'll get this up pretty fast. So, sure. And so that uh, Oktoberfest will still be happening here. Should come check that out. Yeah, for sure. I mean, our you know, our, our, our business is about brewing great beer. We always have at least, you know, between 10 and 12 beers on tap. And the, the kitchen produces some incredible pizzas and, and bar snacks and... You know, be able to come out and, and sit and relax in a really comfortable, cool space. And we have three garage doors that open up, so it's really an indoor-outdoor type of space. And you know, we want we, we hope people enjoy it and and enjoy the beers and and have some pizza and, and hang out and, and relax and enjoy uh, enjoy you know everything about Seven Bridges. It's Twelve beers, no cups on the taps. That's no the cu- key. No mm-hmm. cups, cups on, on the taps. <laughs> exactly right. Talk about the pizza a little bit, real quick. I mean, so what? What's uh, what are you guys using back there? They got like a wood fire thing, or so like we, we don't oven? have a wood fire. We have um, we have a double decker brick oven, two brick double decker brick ovens. Get it, we cook at about 650 degrees. They're Neapolitan style pizzas. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cool part about the pizzas we use um, Nathan is with, with the help of the chefs. We've been able to use our. Um, we, we use some of the yeast from the beer and we create a, a yeast and ale starter for the, for the pizza dough. No so shit. there's, there's, there's ale yeast in the, in our pizza dough, which gives it a really cool flavor, something that's super unique that, uh, we're really proud of. So we have about 16 different types of Neapolitan style pizzas, a few Roman style, which is a little bit thicker focaccia bread that we also okay. use the, the ale yeast in. And then. You know, some vegetarian options. Um, of course, we, you know, nowadays the gluten-free is, is super popular. So we have a few gluten-free options, some salads. Um, we want people to kind of work their way through the menu with, uh, we don't necessarily pair beer with, with our food, but we kind of get them to, we try to get them to work their way through the, the starters and then the pizzas. And, you know, we have a, an incredible burger that, uh, you know, we have two, we have three sandwiches we have a, a burger, a chicken sandwich, and a short rib grilled cheese. So we're we're definitely pizza pizza. Our pizzas are strength, but those three sandwiches are also really incredible as well. Okay. 
menu. No shortage. No shortage right. of good stuff on There's the menu. for everyone. And then October 11th, bottle, barrel-aged bottle release. So anybody can just waltz in when you guys open it on the 11th and grab a bottle of uh, this Class 5? Yeah, right. We'll have, uh, we're going to be selling a little over 300 bottles. Uh, so real limited release on that Friday afternoon. And then we'll also have it on tap. So we have a, a limited uh, amount of uh, beer, a, a amount of kegs on tap, too. So you'll be able to come in, grab a bottle or two, and... Uh, and also taste it while you're, uh, you know, while, while you put that one in the fridge. What's the price tag on them? Seventeen ninety nine for there the for the bomber, twenty two ounce bomber. It's barrel aged beer, right? All right. We've got some uh, great beer, uh, great beer, and fantastic food, and uh, I definitely recommend you guys come check us out. Or if you've been here uh, before, come check us out yeah, again because we've got some. Uh, I'm sure we've got at least a handful of new beers on mm-hmm. on tap. So come check us out. Thanks, guys. Have you guys seen yourselves evolve then since day one, since the open, like beer wise, food wise, staff wise? You know, just uh, you've you seen that evolution. Like, yes, it just keeps getting better, type thing. Yeah, I think you know when Nathan, when we first talked, started talking about the 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 beer, our beer list back in early December. I'm sure he, I don't know if he would have, I surely didn't expect, but I'm, I don't know about him. I didn't expect us to, to sell as many New England IPAs as we uh-huh. do. That's um, what the people want. And exactly right. And, and, and he's, we've gotten super creative with different, with different variants of New England style IPAs. And uh, they've really been kind of one of our signature beers as a, as a style and I'm sure Nathan was probably thinking, yeah, I'll have, you know, we'll brew a, a couple of New Englands and, you know, they'll be, they'll be popular. But, I mean, we've had at least one and a lot of times we have two on, on the tap list pretty regularly. Yeah. Yeah, we and did they're always s- at the top quarter of, of our popularity. We did a whole series of those during the summer. And, yeah, I, I would not have uh, expected we would have <laughs> sold near, nearly as many of those hazy New England beers as we did. What was your series called? Like, what was the, kind of the naming conventions for them? So it's the the Mount series. Um. So every um, we ca- as we started to think about those beers, like our first the first beer that we na- that we brewed that Nathan brewed that we had on was called Mount Massive. It was a double New England IPA, and that beer was you know was really a it, it was a fantastic beer. So we kind of said like and and the name was cool because it was high ABV. It was big bold flavors. Mount Massive is a is a peak in Colorado. And so as I started to think about the names and our marketing manager, Fred and I started playing with names and Nathan and I, and we kind of collaborated was like, okay, maybe we, we keep the mountain theme and find, you know, different mountains around the country. And actually it's turned into kind of around the world that are cool names. And, and so all of our new England IPAs are named after a different mountain from around the world Mount. You know, obviously there's there's tons, but Mount K2, um, Mount Massive, um, you know, Mount Helena, where my older son lives. So that that's kind of turned into and people like they're like, oh, I wonder where the next mountain, you know, the next beer from the mountain series. We did one that had some coconut in it and we 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 picked a mountain in in uh, in Hawaii. So it's kind of been a fun series. I like it. And then uh, Mount Fuji with some uh, green tea in it as yeah, well. There you go. Yep, that yeah. was popular. Play it up. Play it. I like it. Well, guys, thank you. Seriously, I know it's Oktoberfest day. We're getting this thing kicked off. You guys got a lot of shit to do. Uh, I'll get out of your hair. I thank you guys seriously for sitting down um, and talking about Ike and Oak. 
I can't wait to come out here with my family and eat some pizza and drink some more of your beer. Yeah, for sure. Hope to see everyone soon. Come enjoy Oktoberfest at Iconoke. Thanks. Cheers.